Hello and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. Jack Armstrong's adventures were aimed toward young people, but adults listened too. Most of its run was a 15-minute episode each weekday with stories that stretched over two weeks with a little cliffhanger each day. But we found two half-hour shows that are complete stories that I think you will enjoy to remind you of the fun and adventure of Jack Armstrong and the inspirational Wheaties commercials featuring famous athletes of the era. In this episode, Jack is trapped on a runaway train with a jet engine and some of the finest minds in the world. Enjoy Jack Armstrong, All-American Boy, Clear the Tracks. First broadcast November 3rd, 1948 on ABC. A famous Jack Armstrong champion adventure story. Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! The All-American Boy. Brought to you by Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions. Why don't you eat Wheaties? Champions do. Why don't you? And now Wheaties presents Jack Armstrong in another of his new complete adventures. Today's half-hour story... Clear the tracks! Great secrecy has surrounded the operations in Laboratory K of the Advanced Chemical Corporation. It has been rumored that this great company has spent millions of dollars on an experimental rocket unit, which they intend to test in the near future. The fact that this fragment of information has leaked out has prompted the management to call on the Scientific Bureau of Investigation to protect the valuable invention. If the proposed tests are successful, the United States will have a powerful new power plant for rocket ships and controlled missiles. This revolutionary rocket unit has excited the interest of some of our leading scientists, and they have accepted invitations to attend the demonstration. A private train has been chartered to take these important men and the machine to the testing grounds. Remember, Josen, the invention is not important to us. We will eventually get the plans for that. The important thing at the moment is that chartered train. I thought that was why you called me. Of course. How long have you been receiving money from us, Josen? Ever since the strike ended. About seven months. And in all that time, you haven't done a day's work, have you? No, I haven't been in the cab of an engine since they fired me, but I've been helping you. Yes, yes, you've been contacting railroad men, showing them the benefits of our plan. But that missionary propaganda has hardly been worth the money we've been paying you. Now, how's it? What are you driving at, Mr. Walgo? How would you like to be the engineer of that chartered train? If I said yes, you would become a very valuable man to us. You would be able to help our cause. Why the worried look? You want me to wreck that train, don't you? There will be 40 or 50 scientists on that train, men who are important cogs in the machine age, inventors who are responsible for um, labor-saving devices. You mean machines that put men out of work? The inventors will be on that train, Josen. What do you want me to do? Take the place of the regular engineer. 
You see, this train is going to make a non-stop run to that testing ground. It'll have a clear track all the way. You'll be at the throttle. Don't ask me how. We'll take care of that. You'll obey all regulations until you get to, uh, to this section of the country here. Look at this map. Oh, the mountain run. That's right. You'll take the train up in those mountains and then... Open the throttle and jump. Yes. But first you'll have to make sure that certain equipment on the engine is out of order. This bottle of acid takes about three hours to eat through a one-inch steel rod. If this acid is poured on strategic parts, well, you know what would happen. so heavy it'll never slide around. It'd crash right through the end of the boxcar if the train had to stop suddenly, Billy. And don't forget, this is the only machine of its kind in the entire world. Okay, Jack, you sold me. Let's go, guys. Push it forward to where those big bulls come through the floor. We have to anchor to the undercarriage of this car. Jack. Hey, Jack, how are you coming? Oh, hi, Vic. Almost set. What time's the train pull out? Wait a second till I get up in there. Uh, that train leaves in about five minutes, Jack. Oh, we'll have it anchored in place before then. Come on, give us a hand, would you? Sure. All together now, man. Yeah. Come on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You should have put some rollers under those skids, Jack. <laughs> we shouldn't think it was going to be this heavy. Oh, we can make it. We have enough manpower here. All right, once again, fellas. That's good, guys. That's good. Hold it right there. Is it in place, Billy? Right on the dot. All right, men. Thanks a lot. We'll take care of fastening it down. Okay, Jack. So long, guys. Glad you came along right ahead to push that in myself. <laughs> well, we got their precious rocket engine safely aboard, didn't we, Jack? Yeah, and in a couple of days, our worries will be all over. Uh, Mr. Williamson was back here a few minutes ago. Complimented us on the way we handled this assignment so far. <laughs> yeah, he said not even the guys who drove the truck out here knew what was in that crate. All right, that's fine. He's enthused about the wonderful turnout of scientists. Yeah, yeah, there must be 50 or 60 of them on the train. Hey, if we're going to pull out of here in five minutes, we better get this thing anchored down, Jack. You can get started, Billy. Okay. Do we have to fasten all these bolts? Yeah, Billy, this engine weighs over a ton. If it broke loose and slid back into those drums of fuel, it'd be quite an explosion. Vic, I still think it was a mistake to load those barrels of fuel in this car. No chance of their breaking loose, is there? No, but... Well, if we get the engine fastened down securely, I don't suppose there's any danger. By the way, did our agents check the personnel on the train? Yeah, Jack, they're all trustworthy. Our engineer's made this run hundreds of times. Says he knows every inch of the roadbed. Uh, Betty and I were talking to him just a few moments ago. Hey, where's Betty now? She went back to our private car. I wanted her to check with the office to make sure our Arizona headquarters has enough men out at the testing grounds. How'd she get in touch with the office? I had a portable radio unit loaded aboard this morning. I want to keep in touch with things. I really shouldn't be making this trip with you, but I want to see how this revolutionary rocket engine performs. It's hard to believe any piece of machinery that size could develop the force they claim for it. Hey, there goes the starting whistle. Come on, Jack. Okay, Billy. We'll meet you back in the car, Vic. I'll be with Mr. Williamson. That's the car ahead of ours. Okay. Should be an interesting trip talking to all those scientists. Yeah, it should be very interesting. See you later, Jack.
Step on it, Jack. Step on it. It's starting to gather speed. It's not going very fast, Billy. Be careful when you swing aboard now. There's not a car approaching. There's better stop right here. They still have the door well open. There's Betty. We'll make it, Betty. Don't worry. Come on, Jack. Come on. Get on. Make room for me there, Jack. Make room for me. Oh, for goodness sake, Billy. Hurry up. Oh. Oh, I never thought you two would make it. What kept you so long? Oh, we had a little trouble locking the door on that box car. But she's sealed up plenty tight now, aren't you? I'll say. Well, come on, let's get inside. The conductor wants to close the stairwell. What's next, Betty? Inside this car, he's talking to Mr. Williamson of the Advanced Chemical Corporation. I'll get the door, Betty. Boy, I'm going to wash up. Look at my hands. Look at yours, too, Jack. <laughs> I didn't realize they were that dirty. Tell Vic we'll join him in a few minutes, Betty. All right, Jack. You better wash that face of yours, too, Billy. You have a smudge of grease alongside your nose. <laughs> okay, okay. When we get washed up, we can relax a little, Billy, and have some fun on this trip. If we can relax, it'll be the first time. I'll bet before we get halfway to Arizona, something happens. What could happen, Billy? Well, how about a spy? <laughs> there are no spies aboard this train, Billy. How about a holdup? I doubt it. We have a clear track all the way to the testing grounds. This is a non-stop run, and we know there are no hold-up men aboard the train now. Okay, no spies, no hold-up men. But I'll bet before we get halfway out there, something will happen. Flat tire, or uh, maybe we'll run out of coal. Thing in the world to worry about, Grace. Everyone thinks a regular engineer is running this engine. Yeah, yeah, I know they do now. But what if they find those two guys? Uh, the boss will make sure they don't find them. Everything went off just as he planned, didn't it? Yeah, and I never thought we'd make it. He's plenty smart, ain't he? Plenty. And he's liberal, too. What do you mean, he's liberal? The party's liberal. The dough we get doesn't come from him. All right, so what difference does it make? We get it, don't we? All we gotta do is carry out our job. And this time it's a zinc. Obey all signals until we get to the mountain area. And then, <laughs> well, the worst we can get out of it is a sprained ankle. Or a broken leg. Are you sure they'll come to pick us up? They'll pick us up, all right. We'll be all in one piece. I can't say as much for the rest of the passengers on this train. Uh-oh, crossing up ahead. Better give him a whistle. On with our champion adventure story in exactly one minute and 50 seconds. So stay right there. Listen. Listen. You're practically sitting in at the training table with Ewell Blackwell when you have Wheaties in the morning. You betcha. Because champion pitcher Blackwell of the Cincinnati Reds is a big Wheaties eater. And he recommends those good whole wheat flakes to you. So latch on to this big league star's advice and have Wheaties at breakfast tomorrow, okay? Yes, Ewell Blackwell's a Wheaties eater, all right. A veteran Wheaties eater. He's been enjoying those toasty whole wheat flakes at breakfast for over 12 years. And, says champion Blackwell... On the days when I know I'm going to pitch, that's when I really go to town on the Wheaties. Look, you, Blackwell, is a big league star, a real champion. You, well, you want to be a champion, too. So have the training dish you, Blackwell, eats and recommends. Have milk, fruit, and Wheaties, breakfast of champions. 
Now, if you like good things to eat, you'll like Wheaties. Like them a lot. Because Wheaties are awfully, awfully good. They're flakes. Crackly golden flakes with a wonderful, wonderful flavor. Plenty nourishing, too, Wheaties. They're flakes of 100% whole wheat. Full up with vitamins, minerals, and food energy. A kind of nourishment that'll help you perform like a champion. What's that? You say you're heading for your grocers and some Wheaties right now? Okay, swell. And while you're at it, better pick up a couple of packages. A couple of those orange and blue packages of Wheaties Breakfast of Champions. Now on with our champion Jack Armstrong adventure story. The fate of over 100 people aboard that speeding train is in the hands of two unscrupulous men, the engineer and fireman. These two men, workers of the subversive group, intend to sabotage the engine and desert it when they get high up in the mountains. A great number of the country's leading scientists are aboard this chartered train, going to the Arizona testing grounds to witness the performance of a revolutionary engine invented by the Advanced Chemical Corporation. Little do they know that at this moment they're living on borrowed time. And unless someone finds out what's wrong, time will run out for all of them in a few hours. Gee whiz, Mr. Williamson, we're alone. I don't see why you can't tell us now. Are you going to put that rocket engine on a spaceship? Is that what the test is going to be? Uh, what gave you the idea it was a rocket engine, Billy? What gave me the idea? Well, that's all we've been talking about. I understood that it was a rocket unit. Well, it is, in a way. It's a super-thrust turbojet. What in the world is that? A gas turbine. Oh, I thought this was something new. <laughs> we've invented a revolutionary steel-flow compressor which will withstand the terrific heat and centrifugal force demanded of it. And we've combined certain principles of the ramjet with the turbojet. Yeah, that's very interesting. Our engine weighs less than one-third as much as a reciprocating engine of equal power. You see, the Advance develops over 8,000 horsepower at cruising speed, uh, 600 miles an hour. We have a plane waiting for us at the testing grounds. We'll install the engine and have a trial at supersonic speed. Oh, that'll be exciting. <laughs> now, most of the scientists on the train are interested in learning how we have tempered our ceramic linings to give them strength enough to take the centrifugal forces involved. Boy, you're talking way over my head. And Mr. Williamson means that ceramics will take a lot more heat than metal. You see, Billy, the constant 1,400-degree temperatures burn out the metals in a turbojet. Uh, but up until now, only metal could withstand the centrifugal force of the speeding compressor. Isn't that right, Mr. Williamson? That's exactly right. We've learned how to temper ceramics to give them almost the same strength as steel through a secret process. I'll understand what you're talking about when I see it performed. <laughs> Have you licked all the other problems of the turbojet? Not quite all of them, Billy, but a good many of them. We feel sure that our advanced engine will give a pilot the perfect control he needs for takeoff, flight, and landing operations. Uh, a good many countries that would like to learn the secrets we've incorporated in our engine. I'll bet there are. Oh, Vic, I forgot to tell you. The report from the Arizona office of the SBI said they'd have plenty of operatives out at the testing grounds. Oh, thanks, Betty. I uh, just took that extra precaution, Mr. Williamson. We've had reports that planes have been flying over that section. I gave instructions to make sure the air was clear for the test. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate the thorough job you've done. I, I can't see any reason why our test shouldn't be a complete success. The engine's ready... We have one of the best test pilots in the business and the full cooperation of your fine organization. Plus a chartered train and a nonstop run to the testing grounds. But I still think well, We that... can't understand anything going off as smoothly as this assignment has so far, Mr. Williamson. He's always looking on the dark side of things. Well, I was worried a few days ago, Billy. 
But now that we're on our way, my mind is completely at ease. I can't see any reason to worry either, Billy. But uh, I think we better get back to our own car. Let Mr. Williamson have some rest. I was just going to suggest that. I'm awfully tired. All right. Uh, I'll see you first thing in the morning. Uh, we can have breakfast here in my car. Hey, that's swell. All right, Mr. Williamson. We'll see you then. I'll ask you to explain those ceramic liners and bucket plates on the turbine wheel tomorrow, Mr. Williamson. Well, I'll be glad to tell you what I know about them. Uh, good night. Good, good night, night, Mr. Mr. Williamson. Williamson. The train's really clipping along. We should be almost there by morning. Good night. Uh, good night, Jack. Good night. Nice people. Well, I'd better ring for the porter and turn in. Until <laughs> yeah, a few days ago, I was plenty worried about that engine. But now that we're on our way to the testing grounds, we... nothing more to worry about. Headlight of the speeding train probes ahead, snatch ribbons of steel out of the darkness, thrusting them under the heavy wheels to be ground into shadows for the wandering night to consume. Mile after mile, the iron monster roars its challenge to space. Hour after hour, it cleaves its way through rain, snow, and wind. Dawn finds it charging into the foothills of the western mountain range. Come on, wake up. We're coming yeah. to the mountains. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Greg. Fold uh, up and get a few hours sleep yourself. I'll take over. Hey, didn't you say it'd take about three hours for that acid to do its work? That's right. I'll take care of things and I'll wake you up in plenty of time. Don't worry. The only thing I'm worrying about is being picked up. Are you sure the boss will have a car waiting for us at Twin Peaks? He never slips up on anything. Now go on, get some shut-eye. Twin Peaks is still a long ways off. About four hours, I'd say. We should get there just about nine o'clock. Then there's a 40-mile run on a nice steep grade. Those scientists back there ought to get the thrill of their lives. Ha-ha! <laughs> their last thrill! Go on, get some sleep. Of course, Billy. Want another egg, too? Well, if there's an extra one there, yeah. Betty must have overslept. It's uh, 8.30. I knocked on her door as I passed through the car. Oh, let her sleep. It'll do her good. Yeah, but she's missing a lot of beautiful mountain scenery. Hey, we're still going up, aren't we? Yes, but we should hit the downgrade in another half hour or so. Well, it's about time. Come on, Betty. We kept some food warm for you. There's your favorite cereal. Oh, and I'm as hungry as a wolf. I'm sorry I'm late for breakfast. Think nothing of it, sis? I got an extra egg because you were late. <laughs> we're up in the mountains, aren't we? There's plenty of snow out there. Goodness, what time is it? What's about... Wait a second. It's exactly 8.40. Then we're running a little ahead of schedule. We should come to Twin Peaks in about ten minutes. You can see for miles off into the valley from up there, Betty. Oh, good. I'll try to get a few snapshots. They'll be all blurred like the last ones you took from the train. Oh. Boy, we're really clipping along to this uphill grade. Oh, will it matter if we get to the testing grounds early, Vic? I wouldn't worry about that, Billy. The engineer will slow down and lose the time we've gained. Oh, by the way, Betty, did you call the SBI this morning? No, I didn't, Vic. I'll radio them right after breakfast. Oh, if you folks will excuse me, I'm going to walk ahead to the boxcar and make sure that turbojet engine's still anchored securely. 
I'm still a little concerned about those tanks of fuel. I'll go with you, Jack. Oh, your worries will all be over in a few minutes, Jack. As soon as we get down out of these mountains, we'll have a flat roadbed all the rest of the way. Well, that'll be a comfort. Come on, Billy. Strange you don't get an answer. I told him to have someone standing by for our call at all times. Hello, Betty Fairfield aboard Experimental Train. This is Edwards. Is Dick Hardy around? Hello, Mr. Edwards. We've been trying to reach you for the past 25 minutes. I've been trying to reach you for the last eight hours. Is Dick Hardy there? Let me handle it, Betty. Hello, Edwards. This is Dick Hardy speaking. What's wrong? I've been calling you every 15 minutes since last night. I sent planes out to intercept you. Why, Edwards? Why? A few hours after the train left here, our men picked up that agent we've been following, Walgo. Finally nabbed him, huh? Yes, we nabbed him and two of his gangsters. But get this, Vic. They had the two engineers for your train bound and gagged in the back of their car. Oh, dear. What? Are you sure? Positive, Vic. Two of Walgo's men are at the throttle of your train. I thought you'd be wrecked long before this. Where are you? Up in the mountains, Edwards. We just passed Twin Peaks a few minutes ago. We're on a downgrade leading to the town of... Dick! Dick! Quiet, Billy! Dick, Betty, you gotta listen. We're on a runaway train. What do you mean, Billy? Dick, we just came from the engine. There's no one in the cab. Jack's trying his best to slow the train down, but there's something wrong with all the controls. Dick, Dick Hardy, the train is running wild. We're gaining speed every second, Vic. Betty, stand by this radio. Don't leave it for a second. Tell Edwards to contact the radio. To clear the tracks. We're out of control. continue with our exciting Jack Armstrong champion adventure story in just a few moments. If you want to be the star of your baseball team this spring, remember times are wasted. You'd better get yourself in shape. So hurry up. Take a tip from champion pitcher Ewell Blackwell of the Cincinnati Reds. Get started with Jack Armstrong's training program and begin eating Wheaties today. Now, if you've ever seen Ewell Blackwell in action, you'll know why I say he's a real champion. Blackie's a big, rangy six-footer, six feet, six inches, and every inch an athlete. His sharp-breaking curve and whipping fastball brought him 22 victories last year. In fact, Blackwell pitched the only no-hit, no-run game in the National League. And there's proof, solid proof, that Ewell Blackwell's brand of training gets results, right? Okay, then listen. I've been following a training program like Jack Armstrong's for some time, says Ewell. Those three training rules are right for any athlete. What's more, my favorite training dish, milk, fruit, and Wheaties, is included. Now, there you have it, straight from Champion Blackwell, so take your suggestion, won't you? Get started with Jack Armstrong's training rules right away. You'll find them easy to follow, especially rule number three, the one calling for plenty of Wheaties at breakfast. Have Wheaties tomorrow morning, a whopping big bowlful with milk and fruit. I'm willing to bet you'll really go for that famous Wheaties flavor. It's terrific. And Wheaties are good for you, nourishing. They're flakes of 100% whole wheat. Remember, it's Wheaties you want. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Now on with our famous Jack Armstrong champion adventure story. Jack and his friends are aboard a runaway train high up in the mountains. There's a 40-mile grade of twisting, turning tracks ahead of them as the engine pulls a long string of cars towards sure destruction, unless Jack or Vic Hardy can find some way to stop the train. What's wrong, Jack? Why can't you break the engine? The controls are shot, Vic. Look, metal eaten away by acid. Can't even shut off the steam. The engineer and fireman must have jumped when we got to Twin Peaks. That's right, Jack. We just got a radio message from headquarters. Two saboteurs were in this engine cab. They found the real engineer and his helper when Edwards captured the man who planned all this. We're gaining speed every second, Vic. 
Who's the captain? Waldo. The man we've been trying to find for six months. Well, that won't help us now. We have to figure out some way of stopping this train break. Some way. This engine's useless. Can't you get air to the brakes on the cars? Oh, Vic, that's been sabotaged, too. I shouted to everyone to man the handbrakes as I ran through the train. They may help. They'll never stop the train on this downgrade. Vic, I have an idea. That purple jet engine is in the box car back to tender. Here, yeah, Jack, what about it? It's anchored to the undercarriage of that box car. Vic, Vic, can't you stop it? Billy, Billy, go back and get Mr. Williamson. Bring him forward to the box car where the turbo jet engine is. And hurry, Billy, hurry. Yeah, but okay, okay. I'll ask you about it later. I'll get him right away. Gee whiz, are we clever? I see what you mean, Jack. Get the turbo jet engine started. Use the thrust of the jet as a brake. Exactly, Vic. Williamson said it develops over 8,000 horsepower. If it doesn't stop us, it should slow us down enough so we can take the curves ahead. Vic, grab that coil of steam hose and take it back to the boxcar. We'll have to have some way of getting fuel to that engine. Oh, I hope it's ready to run. We only have a few minutes to connect it up, Jack. Okay, I have the hose. Now, what are you going to do? Cut this engine free from the rest of the train and hope it pulls far enough away from the rest of the cars to give us an open space for the turbojet to hit the roadbed. Come on, let's go! You men with those axes, get to work on that front end of the car. Stop an opening for that afterburner. Feverishly, the men work, getting the turbojet engine ready for operation. 
The seconds are split by the ever-increasing tempo of the click of those wheels. And through the open end of the boxcar, our friends can see the roadbed racing toward them, the evenly spaced ties, the nervous blur rushing under them. And far ahead, they see the careening engine as it goes into a long, rounded curve. Jack! Vic! Look! The engine! It's tipping! It's tipping! Yes, one second was clinging desperately to the tracks, and the next was leaning out into space, and then crashing down the side of the mouth of a tangled mass of iron and steel. Jack, Vic, I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, thank goodness, Frank. Come on, come on, get this engine started. If we hit that curve ahead, we'll all be killed. Yeah, we'll be good at that, Jack. This valve, this one. Oh, it take a second for the fuel to get in there. That's our pullman just scooping up air in, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Open the lid up there. Oh, fellas, push it up. Push it up. You've got to hurry, Mr. Williamson. You've got to hurry. That curve's only about a half a mile old. You've got to hurry. There we are. I think it's all ready now, Jack. Here we go. Monday at the same time for another complete adventure with Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Brought to you by Wheaties Breakfast of Champions. And tomorrow morning, start your day the way so many famous coaches and athletes do. Eat Wheaties Breakfast of Champions. Have you tried Wheaties? They're always with all of the Listen Monday through Friday to your ABC station from 5.30 to 6. Make this the most exciting half hour of your day. Tomorrow, a thrilling story with Sky King called The Motive is Revenge. And Monday, another famous Jack Armstrong champion adventure story. Yes, make 5.30 to 6 on ABC the most exciting time of the day. This is Bob McKee speaking for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions. Can you imagine having nothing but rags to wear? Not even being able to play outside because you didn't have enough clothes to keep you warm? Well, listen, millions of children in countries overseas are dressed in rags right now. And that's why the Girl Scouts of the USA are devoting this whole year to a project called Clothes for Friendship. They've promised to send 100,000 complete sets of clothing to the needy children of Europe and Asia... So won't you girls, and fellas too, won't you help the Girl Scouts make good on their promise? You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour, broadcast each week over the World Wide Web with your host, Justine Ward. Next, we have another Jack Armstrong adventure. This time, they find their way into a frightening old house. You really get the feel of breathless excitement from these episodes of Jack Armstrong. 
This is Jack Armstrong, All-American Boy, House of Darkness. First broadcast April 4th, 1948 on ABC. A famous Jack Armstrong champion adventure story. American Boy. Brought to you by Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions. Why don't you eat Wheaties? Champions do. Why don't you? And now Wheaties presents Jack Armstrong in another of his new complete adventures. Today's full half-hour story, The House of Darkness. There are bright lights in American cities. The great white lights of the theater district. The flaming streamers of multicolored neons, the brilliant shop windows. But there are places of darkness, too. Brooding, mysterious places with shuttered windows. Such a place is the large brownstone house standing at a forgotten corner of a forgotten street. Years ago, the neighborhood was fashionable. Now, small, second-rate stores occupy the ground floors of the once proud houses. But the old brownstone house on the corner stands as it did a hundred years ago. But it's a house of mystery, occupied by two old men who have shut themselves away from the world. It is a house of darkness, alive with many secrets. Late one afternoon, as the twilight shadows crept around the house, a young woman walked hesitantly up the worn stone steps and pulled on the old-fashioned bell ringer. I wonder if they'll recognize me. I was just a little girl when I came here before. Perhaps I should have written when I was coming. What a dark, mysterious old house this is. Not a light showing. For several moments, the young woman stands at the door, ringing the bell occasionally. Perhaps they're out. I think I see a light flickering. It looks like a candle. Imagine living in this great big old house and using candles. Someone's coming. I wonder if it's Uncle Robert or Uncle William. They're both too old it to be hard to tell them apart. Oh, goodness. They keep the door and they're bolted. I wonder what they're afraid of. What do you want, young lady? Well, don't you remember me, Uncle Robert? I'm your niece, Claire. Go away. We don't receive any visitors. Go away. But, but don't you remember me, Uncle Robert? I'm your sister's daughter. I visited you here once before. Fifteen years ago. Well, go away, I tell you. I haven't any niece. I never saw you before. Oh, go away. Go away. Go away. <laughs> That happened yesterday afternoon, Mr. Hardy. I, I was so shocked I didn't know what to do. But someone told me about the FBI, and so I came here. I was surprised to find that you knew about that house. When two men shut themselves up in a house for 40 years, the whole town knows about it. They call it the House of Darkness, Miss Evans. No one's seen a light in that house for years and years. Oh, Billy and Betty. 
What did the police say about the house, Billy? Just what you expected, Vic. They never go inside, but they make sure that someone sees the old man every once in a while. Well, why do they do that? To make sure they're still alive. The police say they never leave the house. A boy brings some food from the store once a week, but they never let him come inside. They wouldn't even let me come inside. I can't understand it. But you only saw your Uncle Robert, Miss Evans. Perhaps your other uncle will feel differently. I think it was my Uncle Robert who opened the door. Did you see him? Not distinctly. There was only candlelight. I had the impression that someone was standing there in the darkness behind my uncle. He looked ghastly in the shadows. I never saw such an expression of fear. Perhaps he was frightened because that other man in the darkness was not your uncle. Oh, that's an interesting point, Betty. Uh, do you think it's possible, Miss Evans? It's a frightening thought, but I think Betty is right. I feel there was someone in the darkness behind my uncle. Someone who was threatening him, forcing him to send me away. Uncle Robert wouldn't have been frightened if that other man was his brother. There's something mysterious going on inside that house, Vic. I agree with you, Betty. Uh, tell me, Miss Evans, do the old gentlemen have much money? Oh, I don't know, Mr. Hardy. They own the house. And I've heard they live on the interest of their investments. They haven't left that house for 40 years, so they must have saved up a lot of money. Whatever made them hole up in that house 40 years ago? When their mother and father were killed, they shut themselves up in the house. They were always eccentric and afraid of the world. And now they disown you. They won't let you come into the house. We've got to see what's going on there, Vic. Why don't you and Billy go around and investigate, Jack? They won't let you in. We'll get a search warrant, Miss Evans. We'll take you with us. Hey, I just had a thought. Suppose a bunch of gangsters wanted a hideout. What better place could they pick than a house like that? But the police said no one entered or left the house, Billy. Criminals wouldn't invite the police around every time they had a meeting. You may be right, Billy. Either Miss Evans' uncles are too old to reason things out, or else something very peculiar is taking place inside the House of Darkness. Let's see, it's four o'clock now. We'll go around there before dark and see what we can discover. There's that, that, that large three-story brownstone in the corner. We'll drive a little beyond it and walk back. Sure looks like a house of darkness. Every window's shuttered and boarded up. Oh, it's been that way for years and years. Can you imagine living in a place like that? I'd go batty the first week. Stop here, please, driver. We'll get out and walk back. Here's the fare, driver. Uh, keep the change. Thanks, mister. Now, let's look the place over as we walk back. A little hole-in-the-wall bookstore on this side of the house. I wonder what's on the other side, around the corner. Oh, some rooming houses. I tried to get a room in one of them last night, but there weren't any vacancies. If this house is used by criminals and no one sees them enter or leave, they must use a secret entrance in another building. Well, let's go up to the front door and ring the bell. This place is giving me the creeps, Jack. Mm, me too. And it's even worse when you look inside. This is certainly an old-fashioned doorbell. Strange. What? Wonder why they don't answer. You've been ringing that bell for five minutes, Jack. They must have gone out. They never go out. They must be inside. Then they either won't answer the bell or they can't answer it. We have a search warrant. We'll have to break in. Oh, the door is heavily bolted, Jack. There's some windows on the basement floor. I'll break in there. Everyone will see you, Jack. They'll think you're a burglar. The window's open below the street level, Billy. No one will see me. Wait here until I go inside and open the door. I hear someone moving around inside the house now. Oh, but Jack. It must be. He's unbolting the door now. Oh, I'm getting terribly nervous, Billy. I'm afraid of what we'll find inside. I know just how you feel. Oh. 
Oh, it is you, Jack. Oh, it's to open the door. Uh, I don't know. I just had a feeling that something terrible was going to happen. I don't blame you. Are you afraid to come in? I am afraid, but I'm coming in anyway. Come in, Billy. But keep your wits about you. There is something going on in this house. with our champion adventure story in exactly one minute and 40 seconds. So stay right there and listen. If you want proof that training really pays off, take a gander at Luke Appling of the Chicago White Sox. He's been a big league baseball star for 18 years. And listen, Luke Appling follows the training program like Jack Armstrong's. He eats Wheaties. So why don't you take a tip from this veteran athlete? Get started with Jack Armstrong's training rules and begin eating Wheaties now. <laughs> Yes, Luke Appling's an old-timer, all right, but he's still going strong. A great hitter, a spectacular fielder, Luke again hit over 300 last season. What's more, he broke the American League record for most games played at shortstop. Ran his total up to 1,993. Now, Luke Appling, like most big-time athletes, believes in training and plenty of it. In fact, Luke has told us... Having been in this game for 18 years now, I, I reckon I know something about the importance of staying in good physical shape. I followed training programs similar to Jack Armstrong's training rules. Did you hear that? Luke Appling follows a training program like Jack Armstrong's. Gets plenty of sweet, fresh air, and exercise. Uses lots of soap and water. And as for rule number three, well, listen. That third rule is easy to follow. It includes a big bowl full of milk, fruit, and Wheaties at breakfast. Luke Appling is right. Any rule that includes Wheaties is a cinch to follow. Sure, because Wheaties are fun to eat. They're flakes, you know, big golden flakes with plenty of flavor. Plenty nourishing, too, Wheaties. They're flakes of 100% whole wheat. Have Wheaties tomorrow, won't you? Wheaties, breakfast of champions. You'll love them. Now back to our famous champion adventure story. Jack, Billy, and Miss Evans have just entered the old brownstone mansion known as the House of Darkness. Forty years ago, two elderly brothers locked themselves up from the world in this house. But yesterday, Miss Claire Evans, the niece of these two old men, came to the city and visited the house. To her surprise, her uncle refused to recognize her or to let her in. Miss Evans sensed that her uncle was gripped by some nameless fear. She thought that somewhere in the darkness behind him, a stranger was waiting and listening. So she took her story to the FBI. And now Jack and Billy have returned to the house with her, armed with a search warrant. No one answered their persistent ringing of the doorbell. So Jack entered through a basement window and is just admitting Billy and Miss Evans through the front door. They look around nervously in the gloom of the hallway. For the love of Pete, look at the dust and the cobwebs. All we need is a few bats and a couple of ghosts, and we're all set for a nice, pleasant evening. Close the door, Billy. I don't want anyone outside to notice it. I'll put the bolts back, just in case. Does the house look as it did when you were here last, Miss Evans? Yes, I think so. Only there's more dust and cobwebs. But I haven't been in here for 15 years. Oh, where are my uncles? Have they left the house? One of them must still be here. How do you know? Because this door and the back door are bolted from the inside. But maybe they use a secret entrance, Jack. That could be, but I think they're both inside this house and they're both very much frightened. We're going to hunt for them. Come on. Those are the old gas lights. I wonder if they're ever used. My uncles never use anything but candles. There's a double living room. Cobwebs get all over my face. 
What do your uncles live in this house? When I was here before, there was eight in the kitchen and slept in the bedroom on the third floor. Those are the only two rooms they ever used. Then we'll go upstairs to the bedroom now. I wish I knew what we were getting into, Jack. The quickest way to find out is to do what we're doing, Billy. Yeah, maybe it's the quickest way to become a ghost, too. Then we'd be right at home here. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who's frightened, Billy. And the second floor looks as haunted as the first. Was it this way 15 years ago, Miss Evans? Mm, it was just about the same. Look, wait a minute. All the doors were kept locked then. There's one that opens like this. Now, take a look in there before we go up to the third floor. Flash your light, Jack. It's pitch dark in here. Okay, Billy. Well, what do you make of this? It looks... It looks like an operating room. And it has electric lights. There's no electricity in this house. This room has it. I'll switch the lights on. Oh, now I know something terrible is going on in this house, Jack. I'm a trained nurse. This room, it's used for surgical operations. What kind of operations would you say, Miss Evans? Let me look around. Here's a case of instruments. Here's a jar of colloidal solution. Here are hypodermics for local anesthesia. And here's a whole bookcase on facial surgery. That's it, Billy. Facial surgery. That's what all this is for. To repair damaged faces. Or more likely to change undamaged faces, Miss Evans. But why should a man want to change his face? Maybe it's the sort of face that's plastered all over post offices, all decorated with police numbers and fingerprints. And speaking of fingerprints, take a look at this, Billy. Looks like an engraved miniature rolling pin. Miss Evans, suppose that new skin were grafted on a finger. Yes. And this little roller were dipped in acid and rolled on the skin. Wouldn't the acid eat out a new set of fingerprints? I think it would. Yes. This room is used to give new looks to old criminals. The facial surgery changes his face. This device gives him a new set of fingerprints, and presto, the law can never catch up. And if they find us here, no one will ever catch up with us. Miss Evans, was either of your uncles a doctor? No, neither of them. I see. Then it looks like someone's moved in on them. Someone's using this house. Jack, there's a red light flashing on the ceiling over there. It's a signal of some kind. Someone's probably coming here. Get back to the door quickly. I'll turn off the light and join you. Okay, Jack. Then it must be a signal. Hurry, Jack. Leave the door open a little, just as we found it. Okay. Now let's go before someone gets here. Wait a minute. Let's listen and learn where they're coming from. They must be coming from downstairs. I don't think so. I believe there's another way to enter this operating room. I think it's the same place the electricity is. There's no other wiring installed in the house. I think the current comes from next door. That's where the old bookstore is. Right. There's not a sound downstairs, Billy, and yet that flashing light must be a warning signal, so they must look up. Look through the crack in the door. The bookcase is swinging out. You can see it by the flashing light. Get your gun ready, Billy. Oh, Away from here. If we try, they'll hear us and shoot us down. We'll stay here. If they come out here in the hallway, we'll have the draw on them. They've switched on the light. And now, my good friend, we can talk in private. Did I understand you would say you wouldn't do this job tonight, Doc? Don't call me, Doc. I'm not a doctor. I never was. I can't do what I tell you. I wouldn't talk that way if I was you. You did a mighty fine job in some of the boys, even if you ain't an MD. Their own mothers wouldn't recognize you. Then I'm sick of this work. I can't even sleep for worry. I'm through, I tell you. You wouldn't run out on the boys. Light must be a warning signal, so they must be oh. coming. Look through the crack in the door. The bookcase is swinging out. You can see it by the flashing light. Get your gun ready, Billy. Oh, get away from here. If we try, they'll hear us and shoot us down. We'll stay here. If they come out here in the hallway, we'll have the draw on them. They switched on the light. And now, my good friend, we can talk in private. But I understand you would say you wouldn't do this job tonight, Doc. Stop calling, Doc. I'm not a doctor. I never was. I can't do what I tell you. I wouldn't talk that way if I was you. You did a mighty fine job in some of the boys, even if you ain't an MD. Their own mothers wouldn't recognize you. I'm sick of this work. I can't even sleep for worry. I'm through, I tell you. You wouldn't run out on the boys, would you, Nelson? Not after all the dough we paid you for these operations. But I gave you a money's worth. Yes, Nelson, you did. You can't run out of them. You're part of the gang, whether you like it or not. 
You understand? You're a part of the gang. That's better. We're counting on you for a very special job tonight. You ever heard of Tommy Gun Pete? Tommy Gun Pete? Why, Billy? You've heard of it, but... But... But it's what, Nelson? He's wanted for several murders. If I help him, I'm an accessory after the fact for murder. That's right. And after you fix up Tommy Gun Pete so no one knows him, you're going to be an accessory before the fact. An accessory before the fact? I don't understand. I'll help you understand. Time those two old men were put away. Why do you want to do away with them? As long as they're alive and someone sees them occasionally, the police believe they're coming alone. We're leaving this place after you fix up Tommy Gun Pete. You know that the old man's niece came here yesterday? I let one of the old men open the door and told him what to say. She went away. She might come back. This place is too dangerous now. Why do you want to do away with the old man? Because they're going to sign a will leaving all of their money to me. Don't worry, you'll get some of it. And you're going to use a nice, sure way of putting them to sleep. And then you'll forge a certificate showing that they died a natural death. I won't do it. You won't leave this house until you do. You work on Tommy Gun Pete tonight. Now, how many days will it take? I don't know. I'll see first. After you operate, we'll take him to another hideout to let the new skin grow. And you can give the old men some slow-working pills I got. By the time they take effect, we'll turn this operating room back into a bedroom. The police won't do much looking around if you forge a doctor's name on a death certificate. But I... Don't you know the police will check on you as soon as the whip is red? Sure, they'll check me. Take a look at me. You changed my nose, you lifted my face. You put this simple in my skin. You gave me a new set of fingerprints. What'll the police see if they look at me? See a man they've never seen before. They see a man who thinks they have no record. Sure, they will. They won't like it, but they can't keep me from getting the money. Not with that will. What if the old man won't sign the will? Well, sign it. I got him eaten out of my hand. Now, come on. Yes, we understand each other. We're going back to the bookstore and meet Tommy Gunfield. You'll have his bodyguard with him, so I wouldn't advise you to get there. Now, shut up. We have to act quickly, Billy. If we play this right, we can capture the most ruthless killer of the year and break up this gang of criminals. And we can save those two old men. But why didn't we arrest Malone before he left yet? Because Tommy Gun Pete's more important than Malone. We'll have the whole gang here later. I want you and Miss Evans to get back to Vic at once. Tell him the score, tell him to get the police and raid the place tonight. But what will you do, Jack? I'm going to find those two old men and see that they're safe. Then I'm coming back to this operating room and put a crimp in Malone's plans. Now get going. We'll continue with our exciting Jack Armstrong champion adventure story in just a few moments. To really make progress in sports, you have to train like a champion, eat like a champion. So why not take the pitch from some of our big league baseball stars? Make your breakfast table your training table. Have Wheaties with milk and fruit. Wheaties, breakfast of champions, okay? Let's visit one of these big league baseball stars. Let's say we're at Comiskey Park in Chicago, home of the famous White Sox. We drop in at the White Sox dressing room, and there's Luke Appling, star shortstop, who began his 18th season in big league baseball today. Luke's a young-looking fellow, well-built, with black hair and gray eyes. You'd hardly think of him as a veteran of almost 2,000 games and the father of three kids. Well, we start talking baseball to Luke, maybe compliment him on being in such swell condition. Luke kind of chuckles, tells us he always takes care of himself. In other words, he trains like a champion, eats like a champion. That's right. Luke Appling eats like a champion. Now, here's what he writes us. I'm mighty careful in looking after my training diet. A big nourishing bowl full of milk, fruit, and Wheaties, breakfast of champions, is a dish that appeals to me. Look, kids, why don't you try the training dish so many champions eat and recommend? Tomorrow morning, have a nice big bowl full of Wheaties with lots of creamy milk and some fruit. Have Wheaties. They're flakes of whole wheat. 
And they're crisp and toasty with plenty of flavor, too. Also mighty good for you. How about it? Are you with me? Okay, then. Make your breakfast table your training table. Have Wheaties. Yes, Wheaties. Breakfast of champions. Now back to our champion adventure story. Jack Armstrong has finally discovered what the House of Darkness is used for and has sent Billy and Miss Evans back to secure help from Vic. Now, as the twilight darkens the dusty rooms of the old house, Jack goes up to the third floor to look for the two old men whose lives are in danger. I wonder what rooms are in. There's a faint light under that door. The old men are held prisoner. This door will be locked. I'll try it. Sunlight. Better knock before I go in. I'll go in and tell him why I'm here. Don't kill us. We give anything we have, but don't kill us. I'm not going to hurt you, Mr. Wilson. I'm here to save you. I don't believe you. You come here to get rid of us. Mr. Malone said so. Mr. Malone? How did Malone know I was coming here, Mr. Wilson? He knows everything. He's very good to my brother and me. When my niece came to destroy us and inherit our money, he knew what to do. But he said she would come back. He said she might come back and bring someone with her. And she has brought you to get rid of us. Listen, Mr. Wilson, your niece didn't come here to kill you. She came because she's all alone in the world now and needs your help. It's Malone who wants to do away with you. No, 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 you will do it. Malone said so. Have you and your brother made out your wills yet, Mr. Wilson? I won't tell you anything. Mr. Malone says we mustn't talk to anyone. Now go away if you're not going to hurt us. All right, Mr. Wilson. But I'll bring your niece here later. You'll soon know who's trying to protect you. Jack leaves the two elderly brothers and returns to the room on the second floor where Malone and Milton give criminals new faces and new fingerprints. He clicks on the lights, looks around. I'll have to work fast. Malone said they'd be back with Tommy Gun Pete soon. I wonder what Tommy Gun Peters looked like if Milton gave him a new face. Let's see now. You know, the hypodermic needles for the local anesthetic, and there's the Novocaine solution to kill the pain. I'll just empty this Novocaine bottle and hide these hypodermic needles. If I can delay things long enough, we'll be able to make some arrests. Back at the office of the FBI, Vic and Betty are waiting impatiently for news from Jack, Billy, and Claire Evans. It's almost dark when a car pulls up outside, and Billy and Claire rush in. Where's Jack, Billy? He's back in the house of darkness, Nick. He sent us back here to tell you what's happened. Well, hurry, Billy. Go ahead and tell us. We went to the house. The old men didn't answer the bell, so Jack broke in through a lower window and let us in. Oh, we didn't see a soul, nothing but dust and cobwebs until the second floor. And there we found an operating room with electric lights in it. An operating room? Was that there before, Miss Evans? No, it wasn't. It looks relatively new. What's the operating room for, Billy? To give criminals new faces and fingerprints. We were looking at it when a signal flashed, and we knew someone was coming through a secret entrance. We went out and listened. There was a fellow named Malone and some guy named Milton. They're going to operate on Tommy Gun Pete tonight. He's wanted in five states. Oh, but that isn't all, Mr. Hardy. Malone wants to kill my uncle. Why? Their house seems to have served his purpose very well. He's going to have to make out a will in their favor. Then he'll kill them. He has Milton in his power. He'll make them forge a death certificate. Milton. A forger with medical knowledge. I wonder if he's the man we were looking for. Remember, Betty, the international crook who signed those papers and helped that injured spy? Why did Jack stay in the house of darkness, Billy? He wanted to see the two brothers, Vic. And he had some scheme to interfere with the operation tonight. You know, the operation that'll give Tommy Gun Pete a new face? 
He wants you to raid the house after the whole gang's there. We'll do that. Betty, get me the police commissioner on the telephone. I know he'll be glad to hear about Tommy Gun Pete. Back in the house of darkness, Jack has completed his preparations and is waiting for the arrival of the principal characters in the evening's performance. He selected a hiding place in the shadows of an antique wardrobe in the second floor hallway, not far from the door that leads into the operating room. As night falls, he sees a sliver of light under the door and knows that the band of criminals has arrived through the secret entrance. The door opens. Jack presses back into the shadows as Malone appears. You begin your work on Tommy Gun Pete, Norton. I want to find out if that girl's been here again. Wilson, I stick your head over the banister. I want to talk to you. I've been here all the time, Mr. Malone. I was waiting for you to come back. Good night. I wonder if the old man's been watching me. Has your niece returned here? No, but she sent a young man. She sent a young man? You didn't let him in, did you? I told you not to let anyone in. I didn't let him in. He came in by himself. What's that? How'd he get in? I don't know, Mr. Malone. He came up to our room. I thought maybe he'd kill us, like you said. But he didn't. What did he want? <laughs> he said he wanted to warn me against you. He said you were going to harm us. How long has this young man been gone, Wilson? Oh, he's not gone, Mr. Malone. He's still here. I've been watching him. I know where he is. That's that. Well, go ahead, Wilson. Tell me where he is. He's right next to you, Mr. Malone. He's hiding there behind that old wardrobe. All right, you. Step forward with your hands up. Okay, okay. I could have plugged you, but it hardly seemed worth the trouble. Nolton, come here. Keep those hands up. Who are you? Just a friend of the Wilson niece. Why'd you come nosing into this house? I became curious when her uncles wouldn't let her in. Well, what do you want, Malone? Here's someone who's been spying on us. Do you recognize him? No, I don't believe I do. But if he's been spying on us, he's dangerous. You better take care of him. Don't tell me what to do with him. I know. Take his gun away. Look in his wallet and see what his name is. Oh, still you. Here's his gun. And here's a paper in his pocket. What? Now, this is a search warrant. A search warrant for this house issued to the FBI. The FBI, huh? Oh, now I know who this fellow is. He's Jack Armstrong. And he knows too much for his own good. All right, Armstrong, march into that room. This is bad business, Malone. If the SBI is on to us, we'd better get moving quickly. Maybe only this Armstrong guy is wise to us. We're not leaving this place until you fix up Tommy Gun Pete. Then we'll take care of Armstrong and the two old men. Now, look who's been nosing in on us, Tommy Gun. Uh, Jack Armstrong of the SBI. Jack Armstrong, eh? I thought you said this place was safe. Armstrong isn't going anywhere with the news. Stand over there, Armstrong. You make a move, some of Pete's boys will take care of you. All right, Noton. You got Tommy Gun Pete on the table. Start working him. I'll give him a shot of Novocaine first to kill the pain. That bite up big God, or else. All you feel will be the needle. After that, there'll be no more feeling until I'm through. Hold steady now while I insert the needle. Uh, Just a few seconds, you'll feel no pain. Wait a second. That's Novocaine. That's not Novocaine. That's water. Plain water. Someone's been tampering with my hypodermic, sir. Someone's been tampering with your hypodermic, sir. It couldn't be you, could it, Armstrong? It could be Malone. Uh, then that's the last thing you'll tamper with. I'm I gonna... wouldn't try any rough stuff, Malone. Look at that red light. It's flashing. You know what that means? It means there's someone coming through your secret entrance. You brought me into a trap, Malone. Armstrong did this to us. We'll spring that trap in reverse. Have your men cover that bookcase with their guns. Yeah. It'll swing open from the secret entrance. Then we'll let them have it. Stop. This will be wholesale slaughter. I won't stand for it. You won't, Ann Norton. Well, let's see you stand for this. 
Now, you stay on that floor. We'll take care of you later. Oh, this is terrible. I'm strong. They'll kill every man who comes through that bookcase. And I thought of this when you joined this gang. I never wanted to join them. Shut up! You blackmailed me into it. Then I was in their power, and now, now they're going to do this. If I can only stop it. Don't worry, the FBI aren't fools. They know about that flashing light from my friend. This is just a decoy to divert the gang's attention. Look, uh, the House is full of police, Jack. Those men in that room can't see a thing. And the sergeant has four policemen waiting at the secret entrance. All right, sergeant. It's safe to come in now. And here's the lieutenant and half a dozen more policemen. There they are, lieutenant, waiting for your handcuffs. Oh, this is a fine night's work, Vic. But, but where are Betty and Miss Evans? They're upstairs with Miss Evans' uncle. I think that Betty will convince those poor old men that they should let their niece take care of them. Maybe when sunlight enters the house of darkness, they'll lose their fear of the world. Listen Thursday at the same time for another complete adventure with Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Brought to you by Wheaties Breakfast of Champions. And tomorrow morning... Start your day the way so many famous coaches and athletes do. Eat Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Have you tried Wheaties? They're more with all of the brands. Listen Monday through Friday to your ABC station from 5.30 to 6. Make this the most exciting half hour of your day. Tomorrow, a thrilling story with Sky King called Danger in the Shipyard. And Thursday, another famous Jack Armstrong champion adventure story. Yes, make 5.30 to 6 on ABC the most exciting time of the day. The part of Jack Armstrong is portrayed by Charles Flynn. This is Bob McKee speaking for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You have been listening to the Old Time Radio Hour broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of entertainment from the golden age of radio. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for now. (laughs) 